Ah, good morning. So our theme uh, for the month is a world that works for everyone, and wasn't that really the feeling, right? Wasn't that the intention, you know? And today's talk is we are one. And so it was, like I said before, it was 50 years ago this weekend, uh, August 15th through the 18th, that Woodstock happened on Max Yasker's farm in Bethel, New York. And I was 13 that year. <laughs> I had just turned 13 that, that spring. And um, I went to my mother and I said to her, you know, a couple of friends and I are going to hitchhike up the New York State Thruway and we're going to Woodstock and we're going to celebrate Woodstock the, um, in Bethel. And <laughs> my mother, who was so dear <laughs> and, and wise, um, quietly said to me, are you out of your entire mind? <laughs> what in the wide, wide world of sports do you think I am going to let you do that? And so that was like shut down. I was like grounded for something I didn't even get to do, you know, for about a month. <laughs> anyway, I had to, you know, content myself with the C CD, with the tape. What was it back then? The tape, the album. When the, the album, when it came out, I had to content myself with the double or triple album, and, and, uh, and then the movie, you know, that came out a little later <laughs> after that. It was just, oh, anyway, and the news footage. I got to see the news footage. But, you know, they interviewed um, Graham Nash recently, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash. He was there. He got to go. <laughs> and, yeah, and he told CBS News this. He said, I still believe now what we believed then that love is better than hatred, that peace is better than war, and that we have to take care of our fellow human beings because we are all we have. Isn't that lovely? And that is the essence of this talk. That is the essence of this idea that we are one. We are one, right? Love, not hate. Peace, not war. Taking care of each other because we are all we've got. That is what a world that works for everyone looks like, right? That's what a world that works for everyone looks like, a continuous sharing of resources and a caring for each other, being peaceful, being mutually supportive. Carlos Santana, he was there too. His mom let him go. <laughs> I just, you know, I have, a little, I have a little issue with that still. <laughs> anyway. Carlos Santana said this, he said, Woodstock was about energy. All of the people, all of those people there, it was all about energy. And the most, and he said, and most important, right, more than the drugs, or Jerry Garcia, or Woodstock, or even the music, was about how these people were able to coexist in unity and harmony. And he said, that's why we're still talking about Woodstock after 50 years. Because humans are quite capable of doing the opposite of shooting each other and hurtful things that we're doing today. And, and he's right. That is why we still talk about it. It was an amazing weekend. You know, two, only two people died. Half a million people got together. And two people died. And one was from an overdose. And one got hit by a tractor. 
He was out laying in a field, I guess, and nobody saw him, and he got run over by a tractor. But that was it. Those are the only two fatalities, okay? And so, and so Carlos Santana went on to, he said his, he, he thinks that music can, can heal kind of what's going on in this country. He said his newest album provides the antidote to fear, describing it as a mystical medicine music. Isn't that lovely? Mystical medicine music to heal a twisted, crooked world infected with fear. We need the antidote to what's going on in this country right now. And maybe it is music. Maybe it is music. In fact, here's, what his, here's his proposal. He went on to say this. Carlos Santana said, he proposed that all the mayors and all the cities around the country start organizing weekend love-ins again. <laughs> Don't you love it? Weekend love-ins in parks, in the, in the city parks, in public parks all over the country where there's music and games and grandparents and grandchildren and just dancing and barbecuing and celebrating life without fear to absolutely reject fear altogether. You know, and this country has been living in a level of fear since 2001 and it's time we got over it. <laughs> I remember back then, remember the, 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 I don't even remember what it was called, the terror alert system. It was started with red and it would go to orange and then yellow and whatever, whatever. It never went below, did it? Never went below red or yellow. It was always be afraid, be very afraid, be always afraid. Lock yourself in, the, in your house and be afraid of your neighbors or your, your you know, fellow human beings or whatever. We, we, are, we should be done with that now. We should be done with that now. We're done, okay? So I love this idea of, of love-ins. Let's start that again. Maybe that's vision's calling. Maybe that's what we should do. Just plant weekend barbecues and parties and celebrations and music and dancing and just, and just be those love-ins again that we should be, right? Sounds good to me. It sounds good to me. Ernest Holmes said this. He said, through the inner spiritual vision, you know that good alone is permanent and all else is transitory. You know that the right finally dissolves everything that is opposed to it. The power of spirit is supreme over every antagonist. Therefore, you should cherish no fear. And when you neither fear nor hate, you have come to understand the unity of life. When you neither fear nor hate, you come to understand the unity of life. And that's what we're here to do, understand the unity of life. Know that first core concept, God is all there is. So there is no other, right? In fact, they asked Ramana Maharishi, right, how should we treat others? And you know what his answer was? There are no others. There are no others. That's awesome. And it's true. There are no others, and that's true. You know, in 1950, UNESCO which was the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. They had a declaration of race, which states this. All human beings belong to a single species and are descended from common stock. They are born equal in dignity and rights and all form an integral part of humanity. That's from the UN. You know, and in the 1980s, I love this, in the 1980s, the Human Genome Project, right, you know what that is, right, mapped the entire human DNA chain, and it stated equivocally, without doubt, that race is not real, that it is a human construct. So how did we even get here? How did we even get here? 
Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> it goes back to a German anthropologist by the name of Frederick Blumenbach. In his work in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, Blumenbach divided Homo sapiens into five distinct races just based on physical characteristics. That was it. There was the Mongolian or yellow race, the red American race, the brown Malayan race, the black Ethiopian race, and of course the white Caucasian race. He made it all up. He just made it all up. It was perfectly, totally subjective and make-believe. But you know, he was a white German guy, so guess which group was got the top spot? <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But look, here's the deal. It was one anthropologist who created these groups just from his imagination and his observation of different physical characteristics, right? He made it up. He divided up all of the, all of the characteristics into different races and made it like a quote-unquote fact. It's not a fact. He made it up out of his mind. Now, we could have divided up all the races according to height, right? I mean, he could have picked that. And then John Kirko and I would be different races. <laughs> I think about it. I mean, I'd be, I'd be the shorty race. He'd be the tallsy race, you know? I mean, it would just be, it's just so weird. It's so subjective, you know? We could have divided, we could have divided the races up according to hair color, and then my race would have changed over the last couple of years, <laughs> right? I would have gone from the Auburn race to the silver race. I mean, think about it. It was simply physical characteristics. You know, it, 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 it's a made-up thing. And it is subjective. And, and here's the deal. I'm not saying like, oh, we don't see race, so we don't say color. I'm not even going to say that. But what I am going to say is we celebrate it. Right? In religious science, you celebrate it. We celebrate the uniqueness, and we know that we are of one. This is what Ernest Holmes said. We celebrate each other's uniqueness, our, our, our individuality, and we know at the root we are all one. We are all one. Ernest Holmes said this from uh, Freedom from Evil, as a matter of fact, was the name of the, uh, the article. He said, in the manifest universe, we see diversity, multiplicity. No two people are alike. No two blades of grass. No two grains of sand. No two flakes of snow. No two drops of water are alike. And yet they are all merged in this eternal unity. Therefore, we see the first principle of life is oneness. The first performance of life is multiplying itself without dividing itself. We may know that the great dual necessity of life is to be life and is to be expressed. Life must be one, and that one, in order to be expressed, must be many. But the many in order to exist, must live in the one. So that's what we're talking about here. That is brilliant and beautiful, that there's only one source and supply of energy in the entire universe, and, and we call it spirit or God or energy or Bob or whatever you want to call it right now. We call it the divine. We call it Allah. We call it Christ consciousness or Buddha mind or whatever. But that one energy is the source and supply of everybody's life, of everything in the manifest universe. 
And, and, and here's the really great part about it, is we know this. We know it on an intellectual level. We knew it for thousands of years on an intuitive level. And now we're knowing it on a scientific level, right? With the Genome Project, with all of the scientific advances that we have in the 21st century, we know our DNA, our human DNA, is 99.9% the same as the person sitting next to you the exact same as the person sitting next to you. Look around this room. Look around this room and look at all the different faces and the different skin colors and the different hair colors and the different eye colors. And you know that your DNA is almost 100% exactly the same as the DNA of every other person in this room. In fact, the physicist um, Riccardo Sabatini demonstrated it. <laughs> this is just really great. A printed version, if they printed out a version of your entire genetic code, right, on like just pieces of paper like this, eight and a half by 11, if they printed out your entire genetic code, it would take up 262,000 pages. If, if bound in volumes, if bound in books, it would be over 175 books of 1,500 pages a book. We're talking huge stack, stack of information, right? 262,000 pages, only 500 of them would be unique to you. Only 500 pages of those 262,000 pages would be unique to your individuality. That's what one looks like. That is what one looks like. We are more the same than we are different. We are overwhelmingly more the same than we are different. Small, small, teeny, tiny little differences that show up as our individuality, our eye color or height or, or whatever. That's huge. And you know what the genetic difference between us and chimpanzees? 1.2%. We're almost them. They're almost us. 1.2%, right? Well, we share 90% of our genetic DNA with cats. Well, you cat lovers out there, yeah, I know you like hearing that. <laughs> but, but here we go. We share 60% of our genes with the banana. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, talk about one life. There's one life. There's one life. And, and here's the Humans have 46 chromosomes. We have two less than the common potato. <laughs> That's right, folks. The common potato is more complex than we are. <sighs> and you know what? We're not even us. What is it that it means to be human? What is it? What makes us human? Because I got to tell you, 57% of the cells in your body carry their own microbial DNA, and it's not human. It's all them. So that means only 40% of us is human. Right? So what does it mean to be human? All those other cells that we carry around in our body, that 57% of cells that we carry around inside of our body that are not human cells, they're bacteria and they're viruses and they're fungi and they are, you know, archaea. They're not human at all. So, so basically, we're not a person, we're a planet. <laughs> we're, inter we're, we're interspecial. Don't you love it? We're an event. <laughs> we're an event that's happening. Talk about diversity in unity. <laughs> it's happening in your own body. You are diversity 
in unity, right? You're not even mostly human. You're mostly something else. Ernest Holmes says this. He says, unity does not mean uniformity. Thank God for that, right? Life has set the stamp of individuality upon everything from a blade of grass to a person. There is unity at the center, variety at the surface. These variations are separate and distinct without being separated or isolated. Variety feeds on the unity in which it is rooted and expands through a consciousness of being one with the whole. You see, we live because we are rooted in wholeness. We live because we are rooted in that energy which is, which is everything that there is. We are one. We've proven we are one. They've proven it intellectually. We have proven it scientifically. We have proven it intuitively. All the great religions of the world, that's where their starting point is. We are one. We are one. We are one. They have said it over and over and over again. We are one with each other. We are one with all life everywhere. And the only thing that keeps us from knowing it and accepting it and absorbing it and acting like it is fear. Right? You sang that beautiful song, fear, love and fear. Right? Which door are we going to go through? Which key, you know, the, the key that unlocks both of them, where are we going to go? The one thing that keeps us from just accepting all, the oneness of all life and knowing and seeing each other as us, just us, is fear at some level. Fear of other, fear of lack, fear of shortage, fear of not enoughness, fear of physical harm, fear of whatever, you know, something being taken from us, whatever it is. It, all of it, all of that fear is, on, is, is based in the illusion of separation. It's based in the illusion that there is us and something else. And when we get right down to the basis of what this teaching is, and the basis really of what all spiritual teaching is throughout the ages, was that God is one and we are that. That there is, a, there is a power and presence in the universe. It flows through everything. It animates everything. And that's all there is to it. And we are all that. So there is no separation between you and I. There is no separation between anybody, any life, anywhere. But we sometimes lose that and we forget it and we think of us and them. We think of the us and them, you know? We think we're different or from somebody else, right? And, and, of, and of course, you know, a, a part of that we're different from is, means we're better than, you know? A lot of times that sneaks in, that we're not just observing the difference, we are, we are then judging it. Right? That anthropologist that I was telling you about, Frederick Blumenbach, right? the one who created the made-up you know, artificial lists of races for no reason. Oh, he had a reason. <laughs> right? People don't do things for any, you know, he had an agenda for that. And the agenda was to put white people at the top of the list. That's all it was. Right? He was a white guy. Who the heck do you think he's going to put at the top of the list? Surprise. <laughs> You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Michelin Guide. Does anybody know what the Michelin Guide is? You know, for restaurants, you know, those coveted stars that everybody so... All those restaurants are just, you know, they covet those stars. They want that. They think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, you know, where that started, it started in France around the 1900s, early 1900s. The Michelin Star Guide was produced by Michelin Tires. Same company. And you know who got the Michelin Stars? I'll give you three guesses. It was the restaurants that were farthest out of town. Why? 
because you had to drive out there to get to them. And the more you drove, the more you needed new tires. That was the whole reason for that Michelin guide to be born. That was the only reason why it became what it is. And now you have restaurants all over the world that are just coveting those stars. It was nonsense. It was made up. It was to sell tires. That's really what the Michelin guide is. It was a guide to selling more tires. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. And we, and we use those made-up classifications to judge people. We use those made-up classifications to oppress and to discriminate and to hold back and to deny opportunities to whole groups of people, and it's a made-up damn list. Yeah. <laughs> we need to move beyond that. We need to move beyond that. Go back to core concept one. Breathe it in. God is all there is. God is, all, God is all there is. Look around this room. All we're seeing is God in its infinite variety of forms that it can show up. The infinite variety. And this is only a small little group of God. Out there, there's seven billion God. You know? It divided up into its, its glory, its infinite diversity. And yet we know at the root it is all one. Core concept one, God is all there is. It is whole, perfect, and complete regardless of how it shows up regardless of what it looks like. We are one regardless. No matter what language we speak, no matter what country we come from, no matter what we look like, no matter what we sound like, whether we're tall or short, <laughs> right? We are one. Ernest Holmes said it this way. You are united with all. You are one with the eternal life itself. The presence of spirit within you blesses everyone you meet, tends to heal everything you touch, brings gladness into the life of everyone you contact. Therefore, you are a blessing to yourself, to mankind, and to the day in which you live. That's who we are. Let us remember that and go forward this week and know that. And, and let's start those love-ins again. What do you say? Thank you.